And the pastor hit on that a little bit the other day. And the pastor also hit on another subject a little bit later on in his sermon about being Christ-like. And I kind of look at things like these as affirmations. And I told him so because the message that I prepared for the nursing homes this week is Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ, hath, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And the pastor had hit on that. So I want to deal with these two verses and a little bit into verse 3 and 4 in a moment. I want to point out in this book, Paul's writing a little bit differently than he does in some of the others. This one's he's writing to Jews and Gentiles. You see, Jews and Gentiles are both saved by grace. And Jews and Gentiles are together in Jesus Christ. What Paul offers here in Ephesians 5 is, and in, verse, in chapters 3 and 4 as well, are practical advice on how to live as Christians. Advice for the Jews, advice for the Gentiles, how to live as Christians. Chapter 5, verse 1 starts off by telling us the main purpose of our salvation, to follow God. Be ye therefore. The word be is more than just exist. The Greek word means arise, get up, and work at it. Don't just settle for what you are given but work at getting somewhere. Work at getting something. Work at accomplishing. How many times have you been told, and you know it's more than just exist, when somebody has said, be on time. Be on the job. Be somebody. Be committed. Be all that you can be. Be is more than just existing. Now, preachers try to include application to a text that is, let's make this useful to the hearers. And the previous four chapters of Ephesians are full of theology to do just this. Things we should know about God, things we should know about sins, things we should know about our behavior. I'm sure you've heard the expression, he is so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good, but all of Paul's theology means nothing if we're not saved. All of Paul's theology means nothing if we're not using it, applying it to our lives. We should be looking at everything this book says as application. How do I do this? How can I be this? Well, chapter 5 follows all of Paul's great theology with this simple instruction, B. Don't just read this. Don't just learn this. Don't just memorize this. Be this. Apply this to your life. Get off of the bench and play. Live as a Christian. 
Nike has used this concept as their motto as long back as I can remember. Do it. Just do it. They have been successful in part because of that motto. Right. They advise people by that motto. Do it. The last good mayor of Baltimore was William Donald Schaefer. <laughs> A Democrat, who'd have thought? His personal motto was do it. He was successful as a mayor. He was making Baltimore successful as a city because he did it. He didn't just talk about it, he did it. And so it was an easy transition for him when he became governor of Maryland. When again, his motto was do it. He was the last good governor of that state. Now, there was another good governor in, that, in Maryland in the years that I lived there, but the, his motto was, gimme. And the, the people seemed to do well when he was in office. I, I can't really complain about him. Seems we all knew what he was doing and didn't care because we all got a little bit of it. Be ye therefore. Be ye therefore followers of God. So let's consider therefore just for a moment as a reference to chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. But we're not going to dwell on the therefore because we've already just hit the therefore. Therefore, we're going to move on to the word follow. I think most of us know that follow means to imitate. It's the Greek word from which we get the word mimic. Imitate. When I worked in an office years ago, I had a file where I kept things that I would use and put on the copy machine. And if I had to run off a dozen copies or a hundred copies, I'd go to the master that was sitting there. Because I found out what a lot of people found out. You lose the master and you end up making a copy of a copy. And then you lose that, and then you end up making a copy of a copy of a copy. This is called copier creep. And the reason it's called that is that third generation copy is distorted. It doesn't look anything like the original copy. So we are to imitate, we are to follow God, no one else. No matter how good they are, no matter how close they were. Paul did say, follow me, but he added, as I follow Christ. Paul wanted you to follow him to get you to Christ so that then you could become Christ-like, not Paul-like. That's right, that's right. We must copy the original. We are to work at following God. We are to work at being like God. And this is work. This takes effort because we are not naturally spiritual. We are carnal. Paul said, I die daily in 1 Corinthians 15. And he reminds us of the plight of our daily struggles to do right in Romans 7, verse 18 there, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. 
Even Paul had difficulty being an imitator of Christ. The pastor explained recently on a Wednesday that Hebrews 1, 1, 2, 3, explained that Jesus is an exact copy of God. If Paul was the best copy of Jesus, we don't have an example good enough to follow. And I don't say that to insult or impugn Paul in any way. For we are to follow Christ. We are to imitate Christ. We need to follow Jesus. Isn't that the song? I have decided to follow Jesus. Not a pastor. Not a theologian. I have decided to follow Jesus. And we are to follow as dear Children. Children means exactly what you think it means. Offspring, sons, daughters. But deer has a much deeper meaning than we might see initially. The Greek for deer means much beloved. But there's more than being much beloved. The Greek word is agape. And I think most of us, if not all of us, recognize that is the word that the New Testament uses to describe the love of God. It is pure, undefiled, unblemished, and it comes only from God. The only place to get agape love is from God, the source of agape. Now, Paul in this passage is not just reminding the Ephesians that we have God's love in us, which he does, But he has an emphasis here that God's love is in us for a purpose. Purpose number one is to empower us to imitate God. I'm going to tell you now, I joke about this sometimes. You know, the first rule of heredity is is if your parents don't have children, you won't either. But the reality is, in order to pass on our parents' genes, we have to receive our parents' genes. And that's what we have from our parents that make us like our parents. And if there were a gene that God has that we need, it's agape. It's the love that he has. We need God's genes. As dear children, we are to be pliant, cooperative, useful, obedient. And if being obedient throws you, remember, when Christ found himself in fashion as a man, he became obedient unto death, even unto the cross, Philippians 2.8. People are to see Jesus Christ in us. And I believe that's part of what Paul meant in Colossians 1, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this, manif- of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is their hope. And then when that hope is fulfilled... It's Christ in them. What an encouragement. God in you. You have him. 
He indwells you. But think for a moment. We have to remember that this is made even sweeter by the fact that um, we didn't look for him. <laughs> we didn't find him, despite the, the bumper stickers, I found Jesus. He sought us. And so we were found. Dentists recently, they have a sign up there pretty much list all things that you cannot discuss or bring up as a subject in the office. No soliciting, no gossip, and then somewhere on the list, yeah, we found Jesus. And I read that part and I'm just sitting there laughing because the lady at the desk says, what are you laughing? I says, yeah, you found Jesus. And she starts laughing and you know what that did, don't you? It opened the door. She didn't want to hear about Jesus, but she now has the opportunity to hear about Jesus. He sought you. He sought me. He should be seen in you just as your earthly parents are. I believe that we are compelled to some degree to be like our parents. I learned hard work, responsibility, and accountability from my father. My father my stepfather, I call him my father for reasons that may become obvious. My father taught me these values. My father married a woman, a widow, with three kids, a pair of 10-year-old boys and a 17-year-old girl. I know he was more frightened by that girl than he was by those two boys. <laughs> But he worked hard and I learned it because he made a commitment and he stuck to it. I learned a lot from my parents, but I learned the good and the bad. As a teenager, I saw my father so drunk, he literally crawled into the house. And I swore that I would never drink that much. And yet, the sins of the father. When James Lejeune visited here a few Wednesdays ago, he caught me off guard. I had not seen him for at least a dozen years. He recognized me, but I had to think about who he was. If you saw him, you'll remember James Lejeune, the missionary. You might remember that he was blonde. Don't see a lot of blonde men, but he was blonde. And looking at him and trying to access my memories back in the um, uh, stairwell out there and, and thinking about, he mentioned Rosedale, and I'm thinking, and then I saw Tim Lejeune, only this tall. And then I saw Sherry Lejeune, also this tall. She was a Minnesotan blonde, and he was a gray Cajun. Poor kid didn't have a chance. <laughs> he looked just like his parents. And so as we're talking, he says, you remember me? And I says, well, not unless you're a Lejeune. And as it turns out, James is one that I knew. But he looked like his parents in more than just being physically tall and blonde. James, the missionary, was the son of a Christian school administrator. And things in that family revolved around Rosedale Baptist Church. 
Now James is a missionary. On the first day of class when I taught fourth through sixth grade boys years ago, I always gave a caution. Fellas, during the 45 minutes that you are here today, I will learn an awful lot about your parents. And they looked at me and they said, what? <laughs> I says, I'm gonna learn whose parents are serious Christians and whose are not. You can't tell that from us. I said, oh yes, I can. I will be able to tell. See, one of my theories, I, I don't mention this often except every chance I get. Mir kids, <clears throat> kids are the biggest mirrors in the house. When they go out that door, people are not just looking at the kids. I worked for King Architectural Metals. Jack King, the founder of the company, lived in Dallas. But I would have to remind the employees every now and again in Baltimore, when people see you working at King, they're looking at Jack King, whether they realized it or not. So the kids would get past my little conversation at the initiation of the class, and then they would eventually behave because it dawned on them, wait a minute, this is going to reflect on mom and dad. So then Paul says, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Well, here is a secret to imitating God. Here, to save you the question, yes, it's the same word agape used two more times. This now tells us purpose number two of why God's love is in us. He is telling us what to imitate. We imitate his love. And isn't that a wonderful place to start? By imitating his love. We are to love as Christ loved. And this love is in humility, as we just saw in Philippians 2, 8, just a moment or two ago. Christ hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. Well, not only did God give his only begotten son, but Jesus gave himself for us. We forget about that. He gave himself as an offering. Now, this means this is a presentation, a formal presentation. It means that he met the standards and customs required by a ceremony. It was a regulated service. His offering was by the book. The books of Moses in particular. He gave himself as a sacrifice, not just an offering, but as a sacrifice. And the Greek term here emphasizes a literal and a figurative death. Literal because he died for us. Amen. Figurative because he died with us. Or more specifically, we died with him. And nevertheless, I live. This concept of Jesus giving himself is one of Jesus surrendering to God's will. That's how you really give yourself over to something, isn't it? 
And I joke, and she knows I joke, but I did surrender to Alice 46 years ago. I gave myself to her completely. You still can't see the prints on her neck. <laughs> but the concept of giving himself is one of Jesus surrendering himself to God's will. And we already mentioned that word obedience, didn't we? This concept of giving also means delivering himself. God did not have to chase Jesus. God did not have to catch Jesus in order to put him on the cross. Jesus delivered himself to the cross. He walked that road, the Via Della Rosa. He did not call for a legion of angels. He took our beating and walked toward the cross. He did not call on, an angel, on a legion of angels. He lay on the cross as the spikes were driven in. And I do believe, if necessary, he would have held those spikes in place while they were being driven in, while they pierced his flesh. He did not call a legion of angels. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. John 10, 15 and 17. And just as Jesus walked to the cross, we are to walk in love. This means we are to walk about, walk at large. We are to go everywhere in love. Now, there's a great commission for you. We are to walk to work in love, walk to our homes in love, walk to the market in love, walk to the voting booth in love. There is no place that we are to go without the love of Jesus Christ. But walk also means we are to behave in love. Now, I personally will cut you a little bit slack. I think sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. I know that it's not the easiest thing to display the love of God sometimes, and we just have to bite our tongues. We have to behave ourselves, but we have to get it done. We have to be. We have to be the love of God. This walk also means we are to be occupied fully occupied with this love of Christ. He is to be in our hearts and in our minds and in our hands and on our lips at all times. And the result of all this is a sweet-smelling savor. Forty-one times in Leviticus, Exodus, and Numbers, the verses speak of incense being made for the sacrificial system. And it talks about that incense being offered up regularly because this incense was to be compounded regularly and kept strictly for the benefit of God. Now, the people who would enter into the temple, into the tabernacle, they would certainly benefit by it, but no one was to make a copy of any of this for their own personal use. If you've ever cooked a lamb you know the distinctive sweet aroma that fills the house. And ladies, I don't know how many of you have done that. I know Alice has a husband that did that one time. 
I can understand why God loves the smell of roast lamb. These odors pleased God. God was so pleased with the aroma of Noah's first offering after the flood that Genesis 8.21 says, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Is that how the flood and the judgment ended? The aroma of a new sweet scent from the first offering after the flood. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Psalm 97.12, Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Now, I love this verse, and I'll tell you why. Because the Hebrew word for remembrance is the English word, or it becomes in English also, scent. S-C-E-N-T. Remembrance of holiness. It's an aroma. And this seems proper, this seems fitting, because all of our holiday members, memory, all of our holiday memories are stirred up. The smell of potpourri, the smell of the pumpkin, the smell of the turkey, the smell of the sage. These smells stir our memory. And there's, to my knowledge, nothing that provides a greater stimulation to memory than a scent. But we are to give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness when we smell holiness. Do you rejoice when you catch the scent of God's holiness? Well, let me turn that around. Does your scent please God? Is it a scent of holiness that becomes a sweet savor of Christ? Is your life pleasing to God? Are your actions pleasing to God? Are you being what you should be? Now, verses 3 through 6 list sins of the flesh, and, and they warn of judgment, but I only want to make a quick comment about verse 4. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Sins, these sins that are listed here, are not to be named among us once as becometh saints. Among you means that we find strength together. That's the purpose of assembling, according to Hebrews 10. And as becometh saints reminds us of purpose three for God's love in us. And that purpose is to give us unity, to make us one. And it tells us also purpose number four of God's love in us, to separate us from the world and their lifestyles. Two verses. Some awful big words. You know, we, we, we joke around with kids sometimes. The biggest word in the dictionary is smiles. Because there's a mile between the two ends. 
I mean, we come up with all these silly little things, but there's no bigger word than all. All of my sins are forgiven. Amen. All of my sins are forgiven. And be, as we saw this evening, is a very big word. Matter of fact, be became part of God's holy name as he introduced himself to Moses. The verb to be. Where God said, I am that I am. He conjugated that verb before I knew what he was doing. But be. Be what God wants you to be. Be an example. Be a follower. And be in love with God. Amen. Father, we ask that you would just bless us this evening. Uh, help us enjoy the rest of this day, the rest of this holiday. Help us to keep perspective on all things in life. That It's all in your hands. And Lord, we just need to be yielded to what you have for us, what you will for us and uh, for where you would have us go. We thank you for the pastor who's away this week. Not that we're thanking you that he is away, but we're thankful that he is our pastor. We're thankful for the grace that you have given us to stand in this pulpit this evening. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless each of our families, whatever they do today, keep it holy and keep it glorifying you. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Now, you are dismissed. Ta-da. Surprising, huh? Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that. <laughs>